All right, back in the Young Turks. In about half an hour, we're gonna do uh, Ask Me Anything on YouTube Super Chat on youtube.com slash tyt, so get ready for that. But I've got two great guests for you guys, both running for office. Uh, joining me now is Nithya Raman, uh, she's running for LA City Council. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely, okay, so why run for LA City Council? Um, I think we have a real opportunity in Los Angeles. Um, uh, I think there's an incredible amount of power invested in our city council in particular, but in city councils across America. We have only 15 city council members. Each city council member has 250,000 constituents. And we in Los Angeles have a weak mayor, powerful city council system. So our city council members have an incredible amount of power. And I think we have an opportunity in Los Angeles to push us towards some of the progressive goals that we're fighting for across America that we're just not getting to here. And so that's why I decided to run. Uh, and this election is actually an exciting election because for the first time, LA City Council elections are matched up with federal elections. So that means there's gonna be a, a much bigger voter turnout and a possibility to kind of engage people in the big questions that the city is grappling with in its future. So um, I wanna get back to the city council and the problems in LA because they are numerous yeah. uh, in a second as well, the city's literally burning today. Um, but uh, I, I wanna ask you what you were doing before this. Yeah, so I was the executive director of Time's Up's entertainment affiliate. So Time's Up was the organization that came out of the Me Too moment in Hollywood and beyond. And I ran our work in the entertainment industry. So trying to make entertainment industry workplaces safer and more equitable for women, uh, really for all workers. But you know, it came out of the stories of women who bravely came forward. You see Harvey Weinstein get uh, uh, yelled Kicked at the out, other yeah, day. Yeah, I saw those videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so that was uh, refreshing. <laughs> um, so, but why get into politics then? So you're, you're doing good work yes. on that. Uh, I, I noticed you worked in India mm -hmm. uh, and, and bringing transparency there. You were the city administrative officer of Los Angeles. You so what? 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 Why jump to city council? Yeah, I mean, like I said, what I was saying before, I just feel like we have, you know, we. I think in Los Angeles we have a real gap. I think a lot of people here think, oh, we're in LA. It's an incredibly progressive place. We don't have to worry about, you know, our city here. But in reality, if you look at some of the major issues that we're grappling with, not just in Los Angeles, but across America, there's an incredible amount of progress that we can make locally to achieve our goals. And I think now is the time to really get people engaged, especially because they're so frustrated with their inability to take action nationally. I think they're watching the national situation play out. Hey, and they're thinking, we're in California, what can we do here? But Actually, there's an incredible amount of work to do here. We have a massive housing and homelessness crisis here that needs to be addressed. We have a lot of work clearly to do on addressing climate change locally. Um, and I think there is, there is an incredible opportunity here that we, that we, can, take, we can really take advantage of. And that's, that's what it inspired me to run at this time. So I'm curious what you think the city of LA can do about the climate crisis because it's obviously affecting us personally, one of our co-hosts at the evacuated house today. Oh my goodness! Uh, but I'm going to come back to that because the the one that thing that's obvious to everybody is the homelessness problem, right? And it has exploded over the last several years. Yeah. And and LA has it worse than other cities, so it seems like there is something we're doing wrong. Uh, so what do you think we're doing wrong, and how can we fix it? Well, I've been working on this issue for a number of years. I worked at City Hall briefly at the City Administrative Officer's Office. I wrote a report looking at 
how the city was responding to homelessness, and this was a number of years ago. So the number of people experiencing homelessness was much less. And what I found then was that the city was really ignoring the problem. Uh, departments weren't coordinating with one another to respond to the issue. They were moving people who were experiencing homelessness from streets to sidewalks, to parks, to libraries, and just shifting them around. And for the most part, they were putting them in jail. So I found that the city was already, at that time, spending more than $100 million just addressing homelessness. And four times as much of that money was spent putting homeless individuals in jail instead of providing the kinds of services that they needed to actually get off of the streets. And I think this kind of policy is what we need to change, what we need to tackle. And the city has made some steps towards doing that over the last couple of years, but I think we could be doing so much more. Um, over the last few years in my neighborhood, I started a homeless coalition in my spare time. So I have two little kids. Um, I was working full time at Time's Up. Uh, and in my spare time, I was doing outreach to, you know, to homeless encampments. I was trying to help people get connected to services. We actually built a one day a week access center in my neighborhood to help people take a shower and get access to a case manager. And I just started to think to myself, you know, I'm here and all the other volunteers that I was working with, we were doing this at nights, on weekends, calling case managers during our lunch breaks. If the people in power right now felt the same level of urgency that I did and my fellow volunteers did to really address this crisis head on, I think the situation that we would be facing in Los Angeles today would look incredibly different. And I think when you take a step back and look at homelessness as part of a broader housing crisis that's impacting Los Angeles and many other cities in California, I think we could have done a lot more to keep people in their housing so we've seen an incredibly large number of evictions. We've seen something like over 500,000 evictions in just eight years. Um, we've seen a lot of people lose their homes and leave. And the people who are leaving are working people, people of color, immigrants, the kinds of people that we're fighting for across America. And we could have been doing a lot more to help them stay in their homes. I, I wanna press on that for one more sec. First of all, I gotta say though, um, anyone who, I don't know anything about the incumbent to be honest with you, okay? Uh, but anyone who organizes a homeless coalition in their spare time should be in government. Okay, so nithyaforthecity.com, nithyaforthecity.com. Okay, that's the website. So, okay, back to the homelessness yes. issue. So I agree with you, obviously, spending all that money on jail yeah. is maddening in, in misdirected resources. But I have to confess, I don't know how to solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, so, and LA does this, has this weird thing of skid row, mm -hmm. which other cities don't have, where they just jam all the homeless people into one area of downtown, right. and nobody goes there. And I mean, it's just insane. It, Why it does that even exist? And then, how on God's green earth do we solve it? Well, I think actually the existence of Skid Row is what allowed LA to kind of ignore the problem for a long time. The fact that a lot of people were concentrated in Skid Row and in Hollywood, um, allowed them to look away from the issue in ways that I think are detrimental to us being able to address the issue over the long term. Um, I think now it's spread everywhere. I mean, it is the top issue on everybody's mind. Uh, and I think we need to be doing a lot more uh, to meet people who are experiencing homelessness where they are in terms of how they access resources and how they ac access services. So when we did outreach in my neighborhood, 
we found that a lot of people had never met with a caseworker. They didn't have a place to take a shower. They didn't have a place to get food. They didn't have a place where they could feel welcomed. They didn't have a place to access rehab or mental health services. All the things that you need to start your journey off the streets. And I think we need to do a hell of a lot better in getting those services to them in every neighborhood where there are people experiencing homelessness. I think we need to do two other kinds of things. One is we need to stop evictions and the flood of people in falling into homelessness. We actually helped more people last year than we ever have before. But because the numbers of people falling into homelessness was so high, uh, homelessness went up by 16% in the city of Los Angeles. And in the district that I'm running in, it went up by 53% in one year. In other parts of the country, they might be surprised. I'm not at all surprised <laughs> living in LA. It's gone up sky high everywhere. Yes. And so, um, look, I, I gotta move on to another issue. Okay. Because it, it's so important, I mentioned it earlier. But it, I, but I do wanna tell the audience, don't give up because it seems like it's a hard problem to solve. No. And a lot of times conservatives will say like, oh, they have mental health issues. And then as if that's a good reason to not do anything about it, right? And the reality is some of these problems are incredibly uh, solvable and some of them have mental health issues, but not all of them do. Mm -hmm. The number one problem in LA is housing prices. Yep, People exactly. are homeless because they literally can't afford a home. Yes. So we can do something about it if we just have the political will to do something about it. Can I just say one thing yes, on that, which is course. that I, I just wanna add that the third thing that we really need to be doing in Los Angeles is to build the kind of housing that people can really afford. We've actually built more housing over the last few years than we have in past years, but almost all of that housing has been luxury or market rate housing, not what we need to be addressing this crisis. And I think our planning codes, the way that we think about how we're permitting housing, the laws and rules, and also how we're using city-owned properties and all of the investment money that we're having at our disposal, we need to think about that and to use that in ways that are directly addressing the crisis that we're facing right now. And we're just not doing that. And I think if we do these three things, I think we can really address this crisis head on. And not just conservatives, but also rich folks and, and a lot of corporate Democrats will tell you, well, look, you know, we build a, a housing for, you know, that is incredibly, uh, for the incredibly wealthy, because mm -hmm. that's what makes money. That's economics, that's, that's the only way that it works. You guys don't understand it. You should read the, the history of Bernie Sanders is mayor in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, that's exactly what they told him uh, back in the 19, early 1980s. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, nah, I don't think so. And he did it a completely different way and it 100% worked. Mm -hmm. So it's these things it's are possible. solvable. It has to do with the values of the people who are in power and you have to have people with the right values there. You know? Yeah, so in the, we have limited time now and this is now a really hard question, but what can you do about climate crisis when it affects us so personally? Yeah. My kids' school shut down now. One of my friends is out of a home. There's it's 90 degrees in late October consistently in LA. Climate crisis is not something that's happening later. It's happening right now, and it's yeah, happening in exactly. in California the most. Yeah. But what can a city council do about it? Well, I think in LA, again, we have an incredible amount of opportunity. We have our own municipal utility, DWP, that we control. And we can tell them that we wanna to get to 100% clean energy by 2030. Right now we've set a deadline of 2045, which is too late. That's way more time than what the IPCC report tells us that we have. And we should be pushing them and using every tool in our toolbox to make sure that we're going to 100% renewables. And we can, if we think about using solar, if we think about the path to getting there, to reducing energy demand locally, there's all sorts of ways that we can get there. 
And then the second thing I wanna say is that, of course, these fires are contributing to our bad air, but we've had really bad air in Los Angeles. You know, this year, which was worse than last year, which was worse than the year, you know, year before that. And a lot, most of that is really coming from our car usage. And we have done so little in Los Angeles to incentivize people to get out of their cars. And we could be doing so much more. It's a perfect city for biking, for using public transit. And we have disincentivized that through our policies. And I think we could transform the way in which we're using public space in Los Angeles. Yeah, and if you've ever seen the movie uh, Who Killed Electric Car, we used to have trams in, in Los Angeles. And the car companies and the oil companies worked together to make sure that they got rid of public transportation. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to drive all around. And, and so these emergencies that we're in are self-inflicted wounds. Yep. If man created them, we could also fix them. But we gotta have the right people in office. It's Anithia for the city.com. The links are down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Nithya, thank you so much for thank joining us. So really appreciate it. Such thank a you. pleasure. Thank you. All right. Guys, when we come back, uh, the guy who might meet Mitch McConnell for the Senate seat in Kentucky. So don't miss that. All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now is Steve Cox. He's Democrat uh, running for the Senate in Kentucky. So if he wins the primary, that would put him up against Moscow Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Uh, and Mitch McConnell's polling is disastrous. So uh, maybe we're talking to the next senator from Kentucky. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Jink. No problem. So Steve, um, you're not the only one in this Democratic primary. So let's let's focus on uh, the distinction between you guys. Look, Mitch McConnell's a bad guy, we all get it. Um, but talk to me about why it should be you rather than someone else in this primary. Well, um, I am the only person that is uh, pro-Medicare for all. Um, I'm 100% behind that. Um, I'm 100% behind pretty much Bernie's entire platform. I am a pure progressive candidate, um, something that Mitch has never had to face before. And um, I'm the only one running that way. Okay, so that's that's a good uh, uh, distinction between you and the other uh, candidates, so that makes sense. Um, Steve, what did you do before uh, running for this uh, position? Well, I have a, um, a license as a registered pharmacy technician. I work at uh, Walgreens actually as a, an assistant store manager and I also handle, you know, whenever they need me back in the pharmacy, that's where I go. All right, uh, that makes sense. Uh, but okay, so that's very different than politics. Why decide that you're gonna run for the Senate? Well, I mean, when you, when you really look at the people that you're serving, um, especially if you're in a pharmacy or in any sort of healthcare field and you see people not getting the care that they need, just because they don't have the money, it, it, it starts to get to you. Um, especially, you know, a, a few years back when um, the EpiPens they changed price. I had to tell a guy, you know, hey, you can't have your prescription if you don't, you know, pay this price because it, it jumped up to over two hundred dollars. And he said, well, without this, you know, I could die. And I, you know, I had to tell him, I'm sorry, sir, I, I don't know what to tell you. And you know, things like that start to really eat at you. And you don't see any progressives running in Kentucky or you know the the major offices. And you know I kind of get tired of waiting for that sort of candidate to run. Um, you know my dad is a great example of something that really aggravates me about our current system. Um, I didn't know that dentures were something that Medicare doesn't cover. It's something that's considered cosmetic, and um, so he doesn't really have teeth right now. And if you look at that. 
And you, and you think, you know, are teeth a cosmetic item? You know, that, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, you get old people in Medicaid nursing homes that don't have teeth and then they put them on a liquid diet and then they die just from being poor. And that is not the America that I want to live in. Yeah, I don't think teeth are optional. Um, and so, I mean, oftentimes we have a brutal system. By the way, under Medicare for all, uh, Medicare would actually be improved. Uh, so a lot of not just the Republicans, but of course, corporate Democratic hacks, um, a lot of them in the presidential campaign are pretending that it would take away Medicare. No, it would actually soup up Medicare for senior citizens and 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 provide right. more coverage, including uh, dental and vision. Um, and then, a lot of times they try to hinge on that uh, argument that you know it'll take away the you know the private option, but it's not so much that it takes away the private option; it just makes it completely obsolete. Why would you pay for something that we're going to give you because you deserve it? And that, that's honestly the way it should be. Yeah, and of course the unspoken part of that, uh, Steve, is that. Uh, when the Buddhists of the world say Medicare for some who I like and can afford it, or whatever the name of his plan is, um, what they're saying is it's not going to be Medicare for all. You're going to have to pay for it. So we're going to charge you premiums, deductibles, all those things you have under private insurance, and we're just going to call it Medicare, blah, 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 blah. So it's a completely I mean, different system. Yeah, we're already paying for it, and uh, Medicare for all actually runs on a about a 4% gradient scale based on your income. And uh, if you look at people that are making $69,000 or less, they're probably only gonna be paying 2% of their income, which is gonna be less than what they're paying right now in premiums anyway. Yeah. It just pushes more burden onto the rich, which we see they haven't been really taking care of their burden in a while anyway. Yeah, so Steve, a lot of people will tell you, uh, yes, but it's Kentucky, it's, it's very red, very pro-Trump. So Medicare for all and, and your other progressive planks will not play in Kentucky. How do you answer that? Well, I mean, the truth is there's a lot of progressive people in Kentucky. They just don't have anybody to rally behind. Uh, over the past you know, 30 years, Mitch McConnell has ran against what I would call Republican light candidates. I mean, if you can get the great value version of a Republican or you can get the actual Republican, you're gonna take the actual Republican every time. Why would you get the knockoff from a party you don't like? I mean, you, you need a someone to stand behind that has your actual ideas, not someone that has the other side's ideas that has the right color by their name. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but you know, Schumer, uh, having learned the lesson of Allison Lundgren Grimes, he drove um, Ashley Judd out of that primary uh, last time McConnell was running. Because why would you want a really well-known celebrity to run? I mean, they have no chance of winning, like Schwarzenegger or Trump, right? Oops. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason he did was is Judd's actually a real progressive, and so he hated that. So he decided he was going to go with a Republican light, and she got slaughtered. So this time around, he decides to go with Amy McGrath, who is running as somewhat Republican light. Well, I mean, there's not really a lot I can say that Amy McGrath hasn't already said about herself, her being pro-Trump, her saying yes, I would vote for Kavanaugh, no, I wouldn't vote for Kavanaugh. I mean. She's already said everything you need to really hear about her. And the fact that Schumer's already behind her, that's kind of a red flag anyway. And if you really look at it, I mean, the reason McConnell is giving her so much attention is because he knows if she gets that primary, then he can beat her easily. Because that's what he's been doing is beating Republican light for 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they never learn because it's not about learning. It's not even about winning the seat. 
It's about getting people who are pro-rich people in those seats. Anyway, but Steve, Amy McGrath is likely not going to be the only other person in the primary. So there might be other progressives in the primary as well. So convince me that you can win, that you could win against Mitch McConnell. Unlike other people that may or may not join into the primary, I'm an average person. I've been a Kentuckian all my life. I know what the struggles are here in Kentucky because I've had to live through them. I'm not a perfect you know, model of what you might call a nuclear family. I've been through divorce. I've had to deal with childcare issues. Um, I've lost a job before. I've had to work minimum wage. And my first job was actually at a pizza hut. I mean, I understand what it is to actually be a Kentucky. And no one else that's gonna run is gonna understand that. It's gonna fight for us like I will. So how would you fight against McConnell? What would be, ad do you run against them or you know, how would you conduct your campaign against McConnell in general? In general, um, you really just have to point out the corruption. I mean, the whole reason that campaign finance reform is part of my platform is because over the last 30 years, McConnell's been rolling back the laws on that. He's the reason we have dark money. He's the reason the Koch brothers had so much power and influence. He believes that you should be able to use as much money as you want to win an election. And that's what wins elections is money. If you read his book, he'll say it right to you. So uh, I know some corporate Democrats are reluctant to call people like Mitch McConnell corrupt for taking corporate money. Um, Is that what you're calling him? Absolutely. I mean, anytime that you have a business that is trying to put forth some sort of pressure to the government to make a decision that's good for the business, then that's wrong because business isn't people. And and Steve, what's your campaign plank on campaign finance reform? Well, I believe we need to get rid of all corporate lobbyists, period. I mean, I understand that there are special groups out there that will lobby for you know certain ideas, you, you get certain religious organizations or you get certain uh, things like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, things like that. That's understandable. That's when people come together to you know, address the issues. But when corporations, when businesses get involved, that, that's where really things start to go awry. So yeah, the main thing I would like to do is get any sort of corporate lobbying out of uh, Washington, make it illegal completely. And also people that have been in office, should not be able to be lobbyists after they're out of office. It just, we can plainly see that it's not working out that very well that way. So Steve, last thing, um, Trump is still popular in Kentucky, whether we like it or we don't. Um, so how do you talk about Trump in the context of Kentucky? Or how do you convince Trump voters to vote for uh, someone who is obviously not a Trump fan and is uh, significantly on the left? Well, um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. Uh, extremely concerned with going after Trump voters. Um, I think if I'm honest and genuine, even the people that don't like my ideas are gonna like me as a person as opposed to McConnell. Um, But I don't wanna go straight after Trump's base because that's not the people that I wanna wake up and get out to vote. I wanna wake up the people that believe in a better America, that actually wanna make America great for the right reasons. Um, And you see that with, you know the current progressive movement, and you see that with uh, you know Bernie Sanders, for example. Um, 
there are people there that want to do the right thing for the right reasons. And there's a lot of them here in Kentucky, too. They just haven't had anyone to rally behind. All right, uh, Steve Cox, well, you got a, a memorable website, that's for sure, coxforus.com. Is that for us or for US? Uh, it can be either or. It's, you know, it's double entendre. Okay, indeed. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we'll have the links down below in the description box. Steve Cox, uh, thank you for running, man. I, I, I appreciate anybody uh, who's not in politics who goes, well, I can't stand this anymore. Uh, and uh, who's gonna help fix it? I am. Uh, so uh, that's what you did, and uh, good luck to you, brother. I want to check back in on this race uh, throughout, and so uh, hope to talk to you again soon, Steve. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, no problem. All right, guys. When we come back, uh, post game for everybody, and not just for the members. We're gonna do a YouTube super chat post game. You can ask us anything or give any comments you like. Uh, we encourage positive ones, uh, but we will often answer negative ones as well. So uh, YouTube.com/slash TYT to participate in that. Once we return from the break.